Bob Sewell. I'm a lawyer. In fact, I'm a partner at the law firm of Davis Miles McGuire Gardner. I started this podcast because my clients always ask me, is that even legal? I want to discuss on this podcast how the law affects us and changes our daily lives. I hope you enjoy the show. I hope it is meaningful to you and I hope you learn from it. Thank you. On today's show, we have Rob Elman. Rob, welcome to the show. Thank you. You know, we've had you on before and to talk about uh, COVID and the quarantine, and you gave us a lot of great information. We compared that to Typhoid Mary and how the quarantines are generally thought of. And the reason why we wanted to have you on the show again is you're such an expert in constitutional issues and litigation issue general litigation issues generally. You're the former Arizona Solicitor General. You've been General Counsel for the House of Representatives. You've been, you know, an Arizona Attorney General. I mean, your your resume is immense. There's not a better person who could talk about these things. So thank you for coming on. Oh, you're quite welcome. I enjoyed it last time and I'm enjoying it already this time. You know, I want to tell you the story of Henning Jacobson versus Massachusetts, that Henning Jacobson was living in the Cambridge area in 1902. He was a former pastor. And at the time in that area, there was an ongoing smallpox epidemic. And they had an effective vaccine against the smallpox. And they wanted everyone in the area to get it. And the government ordered everyone to get the vaccine. And if they didn't get the vaccine, they would charge them $5 as a penalty or send you to jail if you didn't pay the penalty. Now, $5 at the time was about $150. So not insubstantial uh, fine, but you know, not going to kill you either, right? Not the most per- most people. It's not going to destroy them financially. So they had that option. Now he claimed, the uh, Mr. Henning claimed, excuse me, Mr. Jacobson, Henning Jacobson claimed that he had taken vaccines before and had adverse reactions. And he says, I have a healthy body. Why are you going to subject me to this vaccine and hurt me when I have a healthy body? And the Supreme Court said, no, you do not. You know, they said you you lose, Mr. Jacobson. And they said this, and this is sort of fascinating. In every, in every well-ordered society charged with the duty of conserving the safety of its members, the rights of the individual and respect of his liberty may at times, under the pressure of great dangers, be subject to such restraint to be enforced by reasonable regulations as the safety of the general public may demand. And then they went on and they said this. Real liberty for all could not exist on the operation of a principle which recognizes the right of each individual person to use his own liberty 
whether in respect of his person or his property, regardless of the injury that may be done to others. So in other words, they said, your individual liberty does not trump the liberty of everyone else around you. This sounds very familiar, these arguments. Have you heard of the story of uh, Mr. Jacobson? I have. I have read that decision, and that decision is cited more frequently than any other in discussions about the legality of COVID vaccinations and masking requirements. So I'm going to ask you, if the government said, a state government, a city government, any government said, you must have a vaccine if you're within our jurisdiction, is that even legal? Well, as a flat proposition without exceptions under Jacobson, that would probably be illegal because it's subject to restraints on arbitrariness and reasonableness. And those are hallmarks of the Jacobson opinion that you see throughout 20th and 21st century Supreme Court litigation. Okay, tell me about that. So it wasn't that Jacobson forced the vaccine on everybody, right? Right. In fact, it only applied to adults. And I and I think the language uh, was that they were fit for the vaccine, which implies the first exception. And then they went on to say that it is uh, we were mindful that a government that has the authority to impose a vaccination requirement has to build in exceptions for circumstances where it would not apply. What we call today contraindications, that wasn't the lingo in 1905, but if someone's allergic to an ingredient in a vaccine, simply requiring everybody to get the vaccine would be unlawful because there would have to be an exception for that person. Okay, so, but what if the government did that? They said, everyone who can get a vaccine must get a vaccine. Otherwise, jail or fine, could the government do that? Uh, they they would still have to build exceptions into it because there are certain civil liberties that weigh against that health and safety <laughs> risk. But those, again, can be cabined for the sake of health and safety. If you have under, for example, a sincerely held religious belief that uh, prohibits you from getting a vaccination, the government can't force that because you do have a First Amendment right that weighs against it. But they still can constrain you from uh, you know, riding a bus where you're exposed to other people if lack of the vaccination exposes them to a significant risk of contagion. And of okay, course, that was on. the case with smallpox, which was the, the disease at issue in Jacobson. And in fact, you know, it, it's Jacobson's, the law in Jacobson was actually a Cambridge ordinance because the state law permitted localities through their boards of health to determine whether vaccinations were necessary in their locale. Cambridge had an outbreak, as you said, and they did impose it for that reason, but it wasn't a blanket statewide requirement for a vaccination. And, and, and the <laughs> ordinance was limited. Vaccinations wore out in the, that type of vaccination wore out in that era. So I think the ordinance said anyone who hasn't been vaccinated since 1897 or something like that uh -huh. subject to the vaccine requirement. So yet another ex exception, but That's you can't. Fascinating. So you can exempt yourself from the requirement, but then you are subjecting yourself 
to quarantine, you're limiting your employment opportunities. Uh, you can't be a member of the military, for example, on active duty without a vaccination these days. Well, I want to push against that for a second. For, for the first thing I want to push against is if in today's day and age, if we said, if the government said vaccine, except under the circumstances that, you know, the reasonable exceptions we discussed and religious liberties, if if that's what the government said, we'd have a lot of people with sincerely held religious beliefs suddenly. <laughs> Wouldn't we? Yes, but that would that would imply that they were not sincerely held. And the court or employer is permitted to make an inquiry in that regard. So they can they can decide if there's substantial evidence that it's fake. This is the supposed uh, religious objection. Then they can still they can still require. And remember, you know, the answer to, to the questions you're asking also depends on what government we're talking about, because different governments are subject to different constraints. Okay, so tell me about that. Which governments, you know, what a city government, a state government, the federal government? Tell me tell me what you're thinking. All right. Uh, There are significant structural constraints against a blanket vaccination requirement imposed by the federal government under our Constitution. Um, so, it, so the answer to the question depends whether you're talking about the United States, the state of Arizona, the city of Cambridge, Massachusetts, because it has significant federalism implications. So we have to keep in mind that federal powers are derivative. They can You can only assert a federal power that's specifically identified in the Constitution. Um, they derive their legitimacy from those specific provisions. So Congress can raise an army, for example can regulate interstate commerce, which comes into play frequently in in these types of situations. Um, So they're under a much greater constraint than states because the 10th Amendment reserves plenary powers to states. In other words, unless it is specifically allocated under the Constitution of the federal government, the state reserves that power. And the most significant type of power reserved by the states is called the police power, and that readily embraces health and safety considerations. So usually when you see a legal challenge to a health and safety regulation, it's going to be a state or local regulation. And the Jacobson case is an example of that. The the Commonwealth of Massachusetts passed a law that permitted localities to to require vaccinations if necessary. Um, So that was a police power reserved to the Commonwealth of Massachusetts and the other, I guess, 47 states at the time. And their legislature uh, decided that they would grant that authority to localities because it was situational. There could be an outbreak in Cambridge, but not an outbreak in Northampton or Gloucester or what have you. Um, So it it makes some sense. And that also built reasonableness into the statute itself. It depends on the circumstances. If there hadn't been a board of health examining facts and circumstances, then that law probably would have been struck down. Just a blanket requirement for everybody to get a vaccine. So you have the you have the Tenth Amendment that reserves those powers to the states. The Constitution probably would not have been ratified by enough states if we didn't have the Tenth Amendment that reserved that. Power. Right. So. Uh, 
you know, the conclusion, I guess, from what I'm saying is that state mandates for things like vaccinations or masking are much more likely to survive legal challenges than federal regulations. Federal regulations have to be tied to a federal power. So you mentioned, uh, I think you may have mentioned getting on a bus or getting on a plane, getting on an interstate uh, flight, the FAA could could require masks, certainly, and might be able to require vaccinations. There's a better argument for masking because of efficacy, but it's certainly within their purview uh, because of interstate commerce. And likewise, requiring vaccinations for military members is within the purview of Congress uh, in its power to raise an army. Well, let me ask you this. Let's say that this, you know, the, the state of Massachusetts, the state of Vermont, some state out there says, uh, I want to make sure that our children are safe. So every child that can get a COVID vaccine, you know, that's going to high school or junior high or elementary school, any of those children under the age of 18, they must get a vaccine. Would that be legal? Uh, well, that might depend on the evidence. You're, 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 the way you're catching it is every, everyone who can get a vaccine must get one. Yeah. So, so that implies some sort of limitation. Are, are you accepting you know, people with religious exceptions? Accepting religious, religious liberties, things like that. Okay. Then uh, as long as there's a rational basis for it, or the um, need for the vaccine outweighs the liberty interests that weigh against it, the state could do something like that. Well, in fact, uh, in fact, there's a 1920s Supreme Court case that upholds mandatory vaccinations for students. So this is not a new new issue. Right, because when I if my kid falls out of compliance, right? I mean, there's so many vaccines. I don't even know what I vaccinated my kid with. I'll be honest. I know. I, <laughs> I hope your doctor knows. My doctor knows. I have it written down on a piece of paper <laughs> when they got it and right. what they got. But I can't. I have a unique ability to forget, Rob. I'll just be honest with you. Not not unique. <laughs> so, but I got this piece of paper and it tells me which kid got what. Right. And. You know, and the school will send out a reminder because we they have that same piece of paper mm-hmm. and they send out a reminder. They say, if your kid wants to come back to school in the fall, make sure. You know, X kid gets X vaccine. Right. Public school, charter school, private and, school. And, and that's perfectly legal to do that. Right. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So. You know, and I'm assuming I would have, I could, I've never, I don't have a religious liberty, uh, you know, uh, sincerely held belief against a vaccine. So I've never even thought to inquire, but I would assume that the state would, if I had a religious belief against it, I assumed the state would allow me an exception. Well, it wouldn't require you to vaccinate your child, but it could still prohibit you, your child from attending school. And Arizona has actually addressed that recently in legislation. So. Oh, fascinating. Okay. So that that's the thing that's odd to me. And not that what the legislation, what that, what's odd to me is this. 
that the government could mandate the federal government could could basically box you in um when it comes to vaccines the federal government could say don't get on a plane the state governments could say don't come to our school don't get on a bus don't drive our interstates and you're you know and or they could say don't go to work you could be boxed into a corner and be unable to live. And that's, it, it's almost a, a, a mandate, a forced uh, vaccination without forcing the vaccination. That's what bothers me. That's what's odd to me. Well, re- remember the limiting principle expressed in Jacobson, which okay. pertains to fourth amendment liberties, first amendment interests, and it applies to any, any attempt at federal legislation to impose requirements like that. You can't do it in an arbitrary or unreasonable manner. So that's the first one. To say you can't drive on the interstate without a vaccination would, is almost patently unconstitutional. There's no limitation. Okay. You're not exposing yourself to anybody else when you get in your car. Now, you have a fundamental right to travel under Supreme Court case law, but that doesn't mean you can drive 100 miles per hour down Main Street. I mean, that's that's part of the limiting principle. And it's the very same principle applies to vaccines and masks. And I know you want to talk about vaccines, but masks masks seem to be at the at the forefront of this today as well. And and I think there's slightly different implications for those two sorts of requirements or prohibitions. Yeah, you're you're right. But they could the federal government could say, don't get on a bus that goes on our interstates, right? They could, right. And that would be much more uh, rational, much more likely to withstand a constitutional challenge because the act of getting on a bus, it puts you in contact with other people. You know, uh, this is an airborne contagion. So if you're on a bus within, you know, six feet, sort of the benchmark, you know, from what I what I read and what I see, uh, you're exposing other people to contagion by getting on a bus. So there's a very there's a very different set of parameters, I think, for getting on a bus or getting into your own car. I think it's, you know, it's it's sort of a fascinating thing how this works. I'll be honest, because in America we view ourselves with this independent spirit, mm-hmm. and that our own personal liberties trump everything else. That's the way we see it. Uh-huh. Right. We don't see it another way. It's just our personal liberties trump everything else in our minds. But when it comes to the police powers, this is what we talked about when we talked about with the quarantine and what we're talking about with vaccine. When it comes to the police powers, things change. You know, when what 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 was said in Jacobson was. No, your individual liberty, your your individual thought may not trump the exigency of the situation for the general good. Mm-hmm. Is that the way our founding fathers wanted it? Uh, that, I think, is a pretty, pretty true reading of it. Quarantines uh, were commonplace 
at the time of the founding and inoculation was as well. And, and throughout the 18th century, there doesn't seem to have been much doubt that there was some level of governmental authority to do that. It was more a question of whether it was federal or state and local authority. It's still more a question of that even, even today. But that limiting principle existed before the Constitution was written. You have the social compact, you know, you have Hobbes and Locke, and those ideas are built into our Constitution. Our founding fathers were, were acutely sensitive to, to, to those principles when they drafted the Constitution. The, yeah, I remember, you know, studying back in, the, you know, early <laughs> days of college, the most good for the most number of people. Right. And I'm, I'm, I'm having to sand off a lot of rust this morning, taking me back to, to that era of learning uh, yeah. in my own experience. Um, but, but remember, and, and Jacobson is a great object lesson in that principle. And I, and I, I did quote something from Jacobson in my own notes uh, that, that sort of shows you the two sides of this same coin that you keep talking about. Um, mandatory vaccination, and now I'm quoting might be exercised in particular circumstances and in reference to particular persons in such an arbitrary, unreasonable manner, or might go so far beyond what was reasonably required for the safety of the public as to authorize or compel the courts to interfere for the protection of such persons. So there is a recognition of personal autonomy and liberty within the decision. Um, and they and they express that willingness to intervene when the government, in this case, at a local level, the city of Cambridge. Overreaches and imposes constraints on liberty that are not reasonable or reasonably necessary to protect the public at large, still the controlling principle today. And this case is 116 years old. I mean, this is this is nothing new. Yeah, I feel like uh, it's I, I, I feel like the people in this, in the arguments today need to read Jacobson. I do too. <laughs> because, because the way that the, it, it feels like when you read Jacobson, it, you end up feeling like everything's on repeat. Mm -hmm. You got the same type of actors, same type of protests, same type of people saying the same type of stuff. And you got the courts trying to, make it all work. Uh -huh. And it's absolutely fascinating to me. We have a situation in Arizona, Rob, that I want you to talk about. And it's sort of the reverse of what we've been talking about with Jacobson, where the state says you cannot um, force vaccinations on other people, the COVID vaccination. Is that legal? Can, can the state do that? I think the answer to that question is yes. We talked about the state's plenary police power. So they have the plenary police power to require vaccinations under certain circumstances. They also have the plenary power to prohibit vaccinations or masking under certain circumstances. As remember in, in Jacobson, the state legislature had permitted localities to impose that uh, requirement right. if you wanted to. So you can prohibit it or limit it uh, as well as require it. Um, in Arizona, uh, there was a budget bill, HB 2898, and it was amended to include the provisions that you're referring to. So uh, what it says, 
is that counties, cities, towns, school district governing boards, and, and some other uh, authorities uh, cannot require the use of masks uh, as a requirement for students to attend class in person. And uh, they also cannot require, I'm, I'm just looking at, uh, at my notes on this, they can't require a student or teacher to receive a vaccine uh, in order to participate in in-person instruction. Now that's being challenged by the State Association of School Boards, but they're not challenging it on the ground that the state lacks the authority to prohibit masking or vaccinations. In fact, uh, what they're arguing, if I understand it correctly, is that that power really belongs to school boards. It should belong to school boards, not the, the state legislature. So that's very Jacobson. They think that the facts and circumstances within a certain school district should uh, control whether these are required and therefore that power properly belongs to a school board. So they're not saying there isn't authority to do it. What they are arguing is essentially procedural because under the Arizona constitution, a bill is subject to a single, uh, a single subject requirement. So if you take a budget bill, which is about funding allocations, and then you amend it to prohibit uh, or to <laughs> to prohibit prohibitions on masking and vaccinations, you argue arguably have more than one subject in that bill. That's the approach they're taking, not that the state lacks authority to do that. And, and it's subject to a, a, an array of nuances. It's, a, it's state legislation that the plaintiffs are challenging, but the legislation doesn't go into effect until September 29th. And school, some school boards, some school districts are pushing back against this as much as they can. So they felt that even if there were a lawfully imposed prohibition against masking or vaccinations, it wouldn't take place until September 29th. The governors recognized that gap and attempted to fill it with an executive order in early August that, went, that is immediately effective. Uh, that would essentially impose the same requirements. So that invited a host of additional legal challenges. So it's mired in procedural challenges, but it seems to still remain under the very framework we've been talking about today all along. Absolutely fascinating. Rob, thank you again for coming on. It's very interesting to hear about these subjects, to explore them with you. You know, this is constitutional law is not my area. I've had, you know, very few constitutional issues come up in my cases. Um, they, they occasionally arise, but, you know, my, in my world, it's, it's a world of equity. You know, probate and trust litigation is a world of equity. And, you know, and, and your world has been entirely different in the law. And so I really appreciate you sharing your knowledge, your expertise. And uh, thank you. You're very welcome. It's a pleasure, as always. Thanks, Bob. Folks, thank you for listening. This has been the podcast, Is That Even Legal? A discussion of what's legal. Just as a reminder, this is not legal advice for you. This is general information. It's meant to be educational. If you have specific legal needs, don't be afraid to reach out to an attorney to get good legal advice. Attorneys are lovable. They're fun. 
They want to hear from you. See you next time.